Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 87 yes. of NerdPod Generations. Well, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dave Taylor, along with the lovely Al Jetson. Hello, friends and enemies. I can't believe we're at 87. I know. I'm, I'm, every time I think about the show, my second thought after, like, ooh, that's going to be fun, yeah. is i got to figure out how to make our DSLR record for more than five minutes, mm-hmm. because I still don't know how to do that, and if we're going to record anything for episode 100... I have a scant 13 weeks to yeah, figure we that out. Up. I got to say, the, the this is a watershed moment for me. Mm-hmm. Because prior to this podcast, I had taken part in two others mm-hmm. with a group, my group of friends from high school. One was a sports podcast, and the other one was just us talking shit. This officially surpassed F That Noise. Really? Because we got to 86 episodes. Ah. And the sports, I highly doubt we ever got. I am flat out guarantee we never got that high. Mm-hmm. So we're at, this right now is the longest podcast. Is the and most, it is only going to keep going. This is the most successful project you've been a part yes. of as far as Very radio so. is concerned. Very much so. Yeah. And I am so ecstatic. More so than Goldie's radio and... and Oh, Audio classes. I don't even want to think about oh, my that. Lord. Freaking Goldie. <laughs> um, well, once again, folks, if this is your first time listening to us, this is the kind of banter I hope you will get used to. Also, we are a very spoiler-filled podcast. Oh, every We're going to be talking about a lot of current projects that are going on, mainly TV today. And then also, since this is episode 87, that means we have 86 previous golden episodes. Please go back and listen. In fact, I just had somebody at work today say, oh, did you guys review Avatar Way of Water? I'm like... Go back a few episodes and listen. We absolutely did. Yeah, we did. One of our reaction reviews, which we have two upcoming, which is um, Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania and Dungeons & Dragons. So we got two coming up quick, Mm -hmm. um, which I can't... Ant-Man, we're we're watching it because we have to, because this is a nerd podcast and we have to watch Marvel stuff, even though I think deep down we're both terrified of it. Dungeons & Dragons, we're looking forward to. I'm looking forward to Dungeons & Dragons. My feeling on Ant-Man and the Wasp is that I want to just start calling it the Wasp Quantumania in protest because I am so unsatisfied with all the Ant-Man movies and the complete lack of Wasp representation. Top three leaders of the Avengers founding member. Are you fucking kidding me right now? Okay, the Ant-Man movies, I'm not going to disagree with. I mean, they're Marvel movies, so they disappointed me. But They're not bad, but compared to what they should be. Yes. The big thing I, I like about it is... I do love Paul Rudd in yeah. pretty much anything he does. He's just the most charming human being. Yeah. And so I enjoy him in the movies, even though the movies are not, like, to me, they're not Ant-Man movies. Just like you are saying. they're It's Paul Rudd and Tressa. Yeah. It's a glorified, hey, uh, what's his face? The guy with the face that did the bubble. Um, the guy with the face? Judd Apatow? Judd Apatow. He, he, it's not a Judd Apatow movie, no. but it's like the next step down from a Judd Apatow movie. It's like mm. a, a, a neutered Judd Apatow movie. Yeah. And it's just like, it, every time I look at it, it's we're, we've talked about punts before mm. in media. We'll talk about it again at some point. But the Ant-Man series is, it would be the greatest punt Marvel's ever had if not for the Spider-Man Homecoming series, which is the greatest blown opportunity ever known to mankind Mm. the ant-man series are right up there like those movies aren't bad they're not bad they're not half as good as they should be that's true which it did come out uh recently that toby Maguire is on board to do another one if they ask him and so is andrew garfield so they need to figure out a way to do a spider-verse then even if you just have those two see here's my thing we already have a really good spider-verse series of films going that are oscar winning 
Well, the first one. I'm still skeptical a little bit of the second one because it seems like they're throwing too much in there. I need to know what the plot is. Yes. Miguel, I have a lot of questions. Yeah. That continues to be my overall feeling of those that upcoming movie. Miguel, I have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is going on? If Miguel O'Hara is the villain of this movie, I will be pissed. Mm. I will be so fucking pissed. But if See, it turns out that it's something else... The thing I'm concerned about is the first movie, it's like... It's amazing. It's great. We have, what was it, like six or seven different Spider-Men mm-hmm. and women. And then this movie, it looks like, hey, you know what's better than seven Spider-Men and women? All of them. A million. And it's yeah. like, I don't know if that's going to be and we, overdone. You know, it's, it's a little weird to do the Council of Spider-Man before you've done the Council of Kang, the Council mm-hmm. of Reeds, the Council of Doom. Those people are all much more attuned to doing that. Peter has a bunch of multi-world adventures, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I I also wonder how it's going to go. Also, uh, for the record, they absolutely need to reference the 90s Spider-Man animated series, which started this whole thing rolling. Mm-hmm. They did it way before, when the Clone Wars, <laughs> the Clone Wars, when the Clone Saga was mm. still going on, the Spider-Man animated series was bringing up the idea of multiple universe Spider-Man and one, the greatest of them, to lead them in battle. Mm. And that's what Spider-Verse essentially boils down mm. to every time. And so they, they better reference it. Uh, the same guy that voiced Prince Eric did the voice of Spider-Man. He's still kicking around somewhere. Just bring Prince Eric out of retirement. Mm. Have him be the one guy that saves Miles, pulls him into a closet, and is like, we're going to figure this out. Well, it's just like, I understand the first one is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, but then, to me, I'm like, couldn't you do, like, as a sequel, not necessarily dealing with the multiverse? Like, because I just would like to see Miles Morales and that animation style Mm. in, like, even if Spider-Man Venom movie. Yeah. Introduce Venom, you know, get, introduce him properly into, mm-hmm. like, I think they could do a great job. So that, I, I just, I'm, wor- I'm worried they're falling down the rabbit hole. What? You just gave me an idea. The idea that Spider-Man in the Miles Morales universe has existed for at least 20 years, right? They talk yes. about him being somewhere in the late, in his late 20s, early 30s, so he's been around for at least 15 years. We'll, we'll call it conservatively 15 years. That means that there's probably been a Venom symbiote at some point in the universe. True. Which means that you could do a story where the Venom symbiote leaves Eddie Brock and attaches to Miles, to Miles Morales. Morales. And now you have a moment where Peter and Eddie are all influencing Miles. And it's the darkest parts of Peter Parker. It's the yeah. parts that Miles didn't know, didn't see, never heard about. Because he never met that Peter. He was killed before. Exactly. Oh, that's a great idea. Right, that'd be good. See, it's ideas like this. It's And this is... Once again, this is the only thing I'm worried about with anymore. Because mm-hmm. if they could do something different, mm-hmm. I, and I, I'm just worried it's going to be like the same on steroids, which probably won't be bad. Yeah. But it's the difference between Shrek and Shrek 2. Exactly. This needs to actually not just be a rewrite of the original with like a quick quirky twist. Yes. This needs to actually grow. This can't be Last Jedi where it's like, here are the expectations, let's throw them all in the garbage and mm-hmm. just not deliver on any of them it has to build off of what the first one finished with absolutely agree and right now i'm very curious to see what the fallout is because something's wrong there's some piece of information that we're not getting spun things up with gwen something's up with miguel there's something going on here that we're not aware of 
Yeah. And I'm very curious to see what that is. I might not watch any more trailers for it, quite honestly. I might just be done watching trailers for that. I think I'm going to stop watching because I think they're just irritating me. Yeah. And I'm hoping the movie just is the opposite of most Marvel, where the trailer is worse than what the movie actually is. Yeah. So, hopefully. You notice that we haven't actually started the show yet? <laughs> yeah, this is our tangent. This is how we start the show, folks. This is our tangents. All right, so we start every show with what we've been watching, playing, reading. I'm going to start only because you have a doozy you're going to talk about. Yeah, oh boy. Um, I'm going to kind of go along with what I did yet last week, which was Guilty Pleasures. Uh-huh. This Guilty Pleasure, though, is, I think, in my opinion, the most underrated film of the last 30 years. And it is one that you and I have talked about, and I did watch it again three days ago, and that's Stardust. Oh my God, that's such a good movie. After watching, because we talked about it, yeah. and it got me all excited, and I'm like, I'm going to watch it again. And in watching it for like the 15th time, it was so fresh still. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the cameos are great. Seeing Mr. Weasley as a goat turned to a human acting like a goat still, I was like, this is the best. Mm-hmm. Like, the, 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 pra- the slapstick humor is great, the action is great. The love story's great. The special effects hold up. Like, everything is great. The twist is great. The twist is fantastic. All of it's so good, where it's just like, it, it never feels hand-holdy. Yes. But it's just like everything builds to such a, a climactic moment of like, oh, 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 he's yeah. the guy, he's the guy, he's the guy. Exactly. And, and I, between that and like you have the silly ghosts with like, Oh my really God. great. That act- was the funniest part. You have really great British actors playing these slapstick yes. ghosts who all stay in whatever form they died oh in. Oh my God. And so you have Rupert Everett with like half his face just caved in because he fell from a height. Mark Strong is Yeah, Mark Strong is the and, villain. Uh, and- Oh God! I wish I could remember. The guy who plays Azazel in uh, yeah, X-Men. yeah, he's yeah. In all he's the there. Guy Ritchie movies. Yeah, he's awesome. uh, Jason Isaacs. I want to say no. That's no, uh, no. That's um, that's, uh, that's Lucius Malfoy. Malfoy. But it's like that's the part, and like this, that's how you do comedy in these type of movies. Yeah. And I wish they more filmmakers would see that where it's not in your face, but and it's I, I think what gives us that kind of humor is this is. Like a very British type movie, even oh, though yeah. I think it's American made. I it might be American made, but the entire crew is very British. Yes, because it's and a British director, and... British actors, British. Yeah, Claire Danes I think is one of the few non non British, and she's doing a British accent yeah. throughout Her the entire and, thing. Her um, and uh, De Niro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even Ricky Gervais and his cameo where they, he loses his voice and he just, ah, yeah, like, and he can just sound like a oh like a God. bird or something. It was so funny. I love that movie so much. It really that's, is great. That's one of those movies that very similar to something like Scott Pilgrim, you know, movies like that where you're just watching and you're just like, oh, and you're here, and you're here, and you're here. What are you all doing here? But like this to me is the ultimate date movie. Yeah. Because any romance-loving female or male will love it. Uh-huh. Action-loving male or female will love it. You have both. Like, it fits every... It hits every beat. Yes. No, it, it's it's amazing. And also, uh, where else are you going to see Daredevil sword fight Superman? No. Oh, that's right. You're never going to see Daredevil ever pull a sword on Superman in any other film. Like, and that's the funny part, too. That was my, oh, my God. Because I know you had mentioned it, but I keep forgetting that Henry Cavill, that he's in this movie. Yeah, and then he's, I see him, I'm like, because he's, he's a lot 
smaller. He's Jason the, Fleming is the guy. Jason Fleming, yes. thank you. He's a lot smaller. He, like, Henry yes. Cavill is not the big muscle-bound. This is pre-fame Henry Cavill. This yes. is still small-time Henry Cavill. Yes. And, because he did, what's that show, The Tudors, or? I think he was in The Tudors. It was something like that. That was, like, his big, like, kickoff yeah. point. Like, it got to the end of the movie, and I felt sadness because it was over. It's over, and you're like, no. I want it to keep going. If there's, if I can give any seal of how much I love this movie, mm. is that to me, in my mind, mm. Stardust and Princess Bride take place in the same universe in some capacity. Whether it's the kingdom side, whether it's the real world side, those two take place in the same world because they have the same lifeblood running yeah. through them. Yeah, so if absolutely. you if you like Princess Bride, you will fucking love Stardust. It's and so good. It is one of my favorite Robert De Niro performances. It's a really good one. He's great. It's a really good one. As the tough but closeted gay pirate, and you're like uh, when he's dancing to the music, and everyone's like, "Sir, we we didn't see you dancing. Yeah. We know you didn't. We did. Yeah. Like they all knew. His crew knew that he yeah. was like that, and they didn't care. They didn't care. They bought into. They yeah. just enjoyed being pirates. Yeah, yeah. And it was so great. I, oh my god, it was I so great. Just love that movie. Just like everything. See, the 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 third act of the movie is uh, well, the plot of the movie is star falls from sky. Claire dance. Boy tries to take Star from where it fell back to his would-be lover as a birthday present. So a journey ensues. And uh, the boy in this case is Charlie Cox. Mm. (laughs) It just so happens. Uh, And so once once we get to the third act, we're close to the wall. He's close to home. And he goes over the wall and he finds something out. I don't want to spoil it because it's really good. But we think like, oh, this is what the third act's going to be. No, the third act is this big fight with a group of witches, and it has one of the creepiest moments of any movie I've ever seen, which is the voodoo battle between oh, the witches and Charlie Cox. That was awesome. It's so good. That was really and good. And so creepy. That was really good. And then, again, right in the middle of it, you have the ghosts over on the side being like, uh, what's going on? Are you doing this? I'm not doing this. Who's doing this? But yeah, I mean, you think about it, you have Ian McKellen narrating it. Yep. You have Ben Barnes, a.k.a. Prince Caspian, is the father in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw that, I was like, is that fucking Prince Caspian? Because I only seen him in Prince Caspian. I had no idea who the actor was. Well, now you can see him in T-Mobile commercials. Well, yes. He's a charming and also, British actor. Um, Skull and Bones. Not Skull and Bones. Um, he was Crossbones in Punisher. He was Crossbones. Or no, Bones. Jigsaw, not Crossbones. Uh, but then he's, uh, it's there's a, a, a fantasy show he's on. Oh, Dustin Bones or something like that. I can't remember the name of it right now. But he's great. Then you said Charlie Cox. Sienna Miller is the the, the love interest. Then, of course, Henry Cavill is the Gaston character, mm-hmm. let's say. That's um, actually a really good simile. And then Peter O'Toole is the king. Mm-hmm. you got Mark Strong. you got Jason Fleming. Rupert Everett, like you said. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Claire Danes, Claire Danes is great. I mean, it just, the list goes on. Yeah, Mark Williams, a.k.a. Mr. Uh, Weasley. Robert, well, Robert De Niro, Ricky De Niro, Gervais. Ricky Gervais. Just, it's, it, it's unbelievable. It's an endless cast. Yes. Everybody's great. You know, I, I just want people to broaden their horizons. Yeah. I think we've gotten into the situation now where people in their 20s and younger mm-hmm. are mainly watching modern films. Mm-hmm. Like, they're forgetting. I have people who are like 18, 19 years old who are telling me they've never seen Back to the Future. You know, these classics that we thought would be classics forever, people are not watching. Yeah. And it's like, 
movies like this, Galaxy Quest, Princess Bride, you know, movies that maybe weren't as successful when they came out but then grew this cult following mm-hmm. are, like, fading. Mm-hmm. Like, even Willow, we've talked about. How many people haven't seen Willow? Yeah. And it's like... They're being replaced with this new cult movie. So it's like, not as many people have heard of Willow, but everybody talks about how great Speed Racer is. And granted, the Speed Racer movie that the Wachowskis made is a mind it, It's yes. mind-blowing. It's, it's just... very good. Woo! But it's one of those things where the... The new cult movies are kind of erasing the mm-hmm. old cult movies. And I I would recommend this to anyone listening. If you're going to do a movie night, go back 10 years, pick a movie. Then mm-hmm. the next movie night, go back 10 years from that, pick a movie. Mm-hmm. Then go back 10 years from that, pick a movie. And keep that rotation. Don't watch anything that's come out in the last decade. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's only been three years. But just let's say since 2010, everything that has come out after 2010... Give it a rest. And if your kids say it's not as good or it's not scary, show them Gremlins. It'll scare them. Exactly. <laughs> and tell them, them, this movie's PG. Yeah. Can you believe that? It'll fucking get them. Yeah. Even Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, he ripped the heart out and it burned in his hands while the guy's body caught on fire. Just show your kids that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so that that's my... I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this more um, for my What Have I Been Watching When You're Playing is I'm going to try to find these... I have so many guilty pleasures in movies that I love that I know are very obscure that I really want people. So I'm going to kind of keep trying to keep this going. Yeah, that's a good plan. I like it. Thank you. So I was telling you a little bit of this before the show started. Yes. I had a plan. I had a plan. I had a plan. I, you know, I had so many options in front of me. Uh, I was going to talk about Jack Ryan. We're just going to do a segment on Jack Ryan instead. So that's fine. Whatever. Uh, I could talk about the disappointing end to the Bill season, which that was just a, a gut wrencher to watch. Of just like, man, way to just not show up, guys. Mm-hmm. Way to just show up like we should have been the third seed, and probably shouldn't have been here in the first place. And then have your GM make excuses for why you yeah. lost, which was the worst. I was the worst press conference I've ever seen. It was just all bad. All of it was bad and disappointing and frustrating. And it wasn't just any one thing. It was everything. It wasn't like Josh had a bad game, but the defense was playing well. Mm-hmm. All of it was bad. There was no running game. There was no passing game. There was no defense. The Bengals could do whatever they wanted up and down the field, any play. The Bills seemed like they were playing in a blizzard mm-hmm. where they couldn't make more than 10 yards headway. The Bengals are just doing anything they want on the exact same field. Mm-hmm. So I'm just sitting there like, I call bullshit. You guys, whatever was going on, you had a bad game plan. You didn't have the heart for it. I think you guys lost heart about a halfway through the season. Oh, easy. I really felt like they lost heart in the season. It's same thing happened last year. When they went into Kansas City last year mm-hmm. and beat the Chiefs, in the regular season, then they went on like a five-game losing streak. Yeah. Same thing happened. They beat Kansas City at Kansas City, and then they just lost. And, like, they lost bad games that they yeah. should have won. And it's not just that. It's not winning convincingly against teams that you should win convincingly mm-hmm. against. It's needing that extra oomph mm-hmm. for easy teams, like the Patriots. Like, yeah. we did. if we didn't have the, the, you know, game that people will talk about for the next 20 years against the Patriots, we would have lost that game. Yeah. We were going to lose that game without those two returns. Like, just everything about the end of the season, the last mm. half of the season, was just like, we aren't there. Mm. We aren't there. And I wish we were. I desperately want to be. But the way that we're playing, this ain't going to win a championship. And what the fuck do you know? It didn't mm. win a championship. So I, 
I had all these things I wanted to talk I about, know, I know, and I know. now I gotta be like, okay, but put it on the shelf because I watched fucking Green Knight, the the Dev Patel movie from a few years ago, and holy fucking shit, god damn it, this was so. This is one of those things. For a little bit of context, we have we've talked about my voodoo before. I have a, a very big fancy voodoo. That has is it's coming up on that magic six 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 where I gotta decide which movie's gonna be the devil movie. Um, still might be the omen. Depends on whether it's five dollars when we're at that point. Mm. But we bought Green Knight sight unseen, which is a big deal for us. We don't buy movies sight unseen, especially not for even half price, because what if they're bad? The idea of the voodoo is that you want to have it all be movies that you want to be able to watch anytime, every time. Mm. And not have to worry about whether Netflix is down or whether blah, blah, blah is happening. Like, you just want to have access. These are the top whatever movies mm. of all time. And you want to... And the most recent time you did this, you nailed it out of the park with Bullet Train. Bullet Train, exactly. So you don't buy Sight Unseen without good faith. Yeah. So we bought Green Knight Sight Unseen. And it's been sitting on our shelf for, for a year and a half now. Mm. And uh, so we took it off and we were like, okay, let's fucking do it. Let's let's put it in the voodoo. Let's, let's watch it. And we're both excited about this movie. Oh my fucking god! You, it's so bad. Mm. It's right off the bat. It's terrible. The only good thing about this movie is the visuals. Okay. The visual aspect of this movie is very beautiful. Mm -hmm. The movie also knows that that's the only redeeming element of the movie. So you have this entire movie where it should be really interesting and fun. Mm. It should be a King Arthur adventure with this really high fantasy element and style to it. No, no, no. None of that. None of that. They never even mention that the guy's King Arthur. They never mention that he's King Arthur. His mm. name is never given. He's just called King. That's the entire time. The entire time. He's given a sword. Is it Excalibur? I don't know because it's never referenced if it means anything. Okay, there's a wizard, so it must be Merlin, right? But again, we're never told anything. Mm. And I'm not saying like you have to tell us everything. You have to be like, Merlin, tell me, blah, blah, blah. But like... Some information. Something, man. So mm. I'm not just sitting there like assuming like, so is this... Is this because you're, it's also, I didn't know this, and I assume this is true because English is a stupid language, mm -hmm. which has been bastardized and rearranged and Frankenstein together. Uh, so the entire movie, they don't call him Gawain, they call him Garvin. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting there like, Garvin. okay, but this is again, another nail in the heart of, mm. is this King Arthur? Because you just keep calling him Garvin. And we all know him as Gawain. Mm. And it, sure, the Welsh are stupid. Look at Ian Griffith's name. And we can all agree yeah. the Welsh don't know how to use letters. But I just feel like this is, we're getting a little cloudy, a little, a little far field. Mm -hmm. And it gets worse because the movie knowingly kicks away the original source material. Okay. It's just like, nah, fuck that noise. I'm going to reference it, but I don't care for it. And this is exemplified in one moment. So the movie is essentially, have you seen like a, a French movie that doesn't really have a plot? It just has moments that happen mm -hmm. in sequence and there's supposed to be an overarching plot, but the overarching plot doesn't seem to matter. And also the things that happen in those miniature sequences don't seem to matter. That's The Green Knight. Okay. It's one of those movies where instead of plot, you have visualization. 
So there's no real plot and nothing means anything. Mm. This is exemplified when you get towards the end of the movie and you finally get to the part that is similar to the original story. Mm -hmm. So after all these adventures, he arrives at a mansion. For anybody Mm. who doesn't know, the story of the movie is Dev Patel plays the youngest of the knights. He's not even a knight yet. He's Arthur's cousin. Mm -hmm. And so he is at a Christmas party and a weird tree man steps in and says, if you can land a blow on me, you get my axe and then I get to do the same thing Mm -hmm. to you next year. And so he, for some reason, decides to chop off the guy's head. I'm sitting there like, just hit him in the arm. Like, just jab him. He's like, he's not even fighting back. Like, why did you cut off his head? That's so overkill. You didn't need to do that. And then, of course, he grabs his head and walks away because he's a magical being. But also, oh, wait, I forgot to mention... For some reason, Garvin's mother, who is King Arthur's sister, is a witch and summoned the Green Knight. Like, there's this whole sequence of her putting on a blindfold and chanting in this room full of women. And they're all around a circle. And she writes this speech that Arthur's giving. And then she folds it, seals it. And then the Green Knight appears as soon as she lights it on fire implying that the green knight appears because she wrote this letter and then he's holding the letter and gives it to Arthur. it's it's all these things that you're like okay i can follow what you're doing but none of it makes sense Mm -hmm. because they talk about his mother being a witch it doesn't matter it's never brought up in the plot and no one besides people in town jeering talk about it Mm -hmm. he spends the whole year doing apparently nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) goes out on this journey and towards the end of the journey he finds a big house and in this house is this couple and this weird woman and the the man who's played by joel edgerton oh weird (laughs) and the woman who's played by alicia vikander who has a dual role as the the prostitute that garvin loves and the lady of this house who's hot for garvin and wants to have sex with him and there's supposed to be this whole thing where the woman wants to have sex with garvin garvin rebukes her but part of the deal with staying in the house is that he has to give anything he finds in the house to the master of the house, okay. who's away hunting every day. So the, the master of the house comes home from hunting. He has whatever he game he's hunted. So and Garvin has to give him anything he's found around the house. Okay. Well, the only thing he's finding is kisses. So he has to keep giving kisses to the master of the house. All of this is cut out of the movie. None of this is in the movie. I guess at one point, Joel Edgerton does steal a kiss mm-hmm. from Dev Patel. And that's like the closest we get to that. But all of this is to say that you get to this point, And while they're here at this house, Dev mm-hmm. Patel's wandering around the house. He goes into this big Beauty and the Beast style library. Mm-hmm. And the, the lady of the house talks about how she's written all of the books in the, the, the house. She's mm-hmm. just taken the tomes from other places, rewritten them, and put them here. But she also talks about how she rewrites stories that she doesn't think the endings are very good to. The writer is also the director, who also did the screenplay, who is also one of the producers. He is clearly telling us as an audience, sometimes you don't like a story. And when you're adapting it, you change it completely because you don't like it. And I'm sitting here watching this movie. How Ryan Johnson of him. Being given this explanation and saying, and this is the movie you delivered instead? 
Like, I can understand that if you give me a movie that's better than the original mm. material, where you fix issues, a la Tolkien, going through mythology and fixing issues with goblins, so that it makes sense by writing his own version of mythology to kind of plug up the holes mm. that don't make sense in goblin mythology. Okay, I get that. That is not this. This ends with Garvin having a long, protracted vision of himself running away from the night at the end of the movie instead of taking his quote-unquote judgment and becoming king and having a baby that Merlin steals from his prostitute wife and going to war and losing the son that he stole from his prostitute wife and having another child with a character who's literally introduced five minutes before the movie ends... And you're just like, what the... F and then it's all a vision. You're just like, I fucking... This movie makes me so crazy. This Wait, movie makes me... The whole thing was a vision. It's all a vision. See, I hate... That's the... My number one thing I will never like is sitting through a movie and at the end them saying, well, this never happened. Yeah. That... Nothing pisses me off more. And, and there's several moments like that. So at one point, uh, we, we, we aren't going to have time to talk about the Oscars today. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. But uh, Barry Koenig, who was nominated for the Banshee whatever... Uh, and was in Eternals, plays a scavenger in The Green Knight. And he is just a thief working with a group of thieves. And he's the first people that Dev Patel meets on his mm. journey. And he's like, how do I get to this place? And Barry Koenig is like, go this way, follow the river. It'll take you to the place. He does it. He's ang Barry's angry that he doesn't get paid. So he's like, give me something for my time. So he gives him like two coins, goes about his business, and then he's robbed. Mm. And he's like, oh, it wasn't enough. So they take his magical axe. They take all of his armor. They break all of his shit. They chase his horse off. Barry decides that he's going to go and finish the mission. And we're never, we never see them again, except we do. Because we see him scavenging later in the movie during Dev Patel's vision when he's riding home. Now you might be wondering, isn't the point of Dev Patel's journey to deliver the axe back to the Green Knight? It is. Won't that be difficult? No, because his axe will magically appear. In the middle of a cabin for no reason. <laughs> all that stuff about him having all of his shit stolen, yeah. all of it means nothing. And that's not part of the vision. That's part of the movie. It just appears. His shit just appears. In a house where, by the way, Aaron Kellyman, of all people, is a ghost who was drowned and killed. And so he has to go find her head. This is one of the many journeys that he goes on. Also, the knight from Willow, the, the, the cursed knight that we yeah. liked, he plays the green knight. This movie should be good. It has a good cast. It has good bones. It could be good if the writing wasn't terrible. See, it seemed to me from the trailer, and folks, I don't know if you could hear this, but I did not see this movie. Um, from the trailer, it seemed to me like the guy that created this movie was trying so hard to make a Guillermo del Toro movie. Oh, yeah. And he completely fucked it up. Well, it's funny because he cites stuff like Willow and Excalibur, and I'm like... Movies that have plots. Yeah. <laughs> Movies where things happen and have consequence. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of tie information together where you can't have a five-minute tracking shot of Dev Patel tied up. And then it goes in a big circle around the clearing that he's in. And it comes back to him and he's a skeleton. And it goes all the way around the clearing again. And it comes back to him and he's no longer a skeleton. And you're just like, what? See, everything you're What's telling me... What's the point me, of this? Everything you're telling me boils down to a super pretentious... Oh, so pretentious. Who just so, so pretentious. full of himself thinks, ah, oh, this is just... Yeah. Everyone's gonna love it. And it's like, you can tell that he clearly thinks that he's really smart. Mm. There's a fox that 
follows Garvin through the woods. The fox is orange. Garvin has an orange cape. All the adventures that happen to Garvin happen to the fox. Do you think the fox maybe symbolizes something within the body of the plot? <laughs> like, none of this is hard to read. It's not like I'm sitting here like, oh, I don't get it. I get it. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. You took an actually interesting story and you made it fucking stupid. And then at the very end of the movie, you kind of bragged about how you made it fucking stupid. No, you don't. No, get the fuck out of my class. Yeah. F. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? And the problem is, is the movie got a ton of like positive accolades. So, you know, he's like, oh. It's beautiful to look at, yeah. but it's the same guy that did that movie with Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, Ghost Story, which is not actually a ghost story, but is a ghost story. Yes. It's about a guy who is stuck in his house as like your prototypical ghost in the mm. sheet, and he can just watch things happen, but he can't leave the house. Mm. And it's one of those movies where there's not a lot of dialogue, and it's just very steeped in the moment, and you're just kind of pacing around, and a lot of people say, well, this isn't really even a movie at some point. And mm. it's like, you know... I kind of came to watch a movie. That's kind of why I came here, was to watch a movie. Yeah. And also, as if to, to capitalize on everything else, he has title cards okay. throughout it, okay? They're, they're kind of Wes Anderson-style title cards, mm. right? Or really any kind, you know, you know title cards. You know the script you see in, like, um, Renaissance text that's, mm -hmm. like, really loopy mm -hmm. and hard to read? Now, crank that. Oh, <laughs> and that's the text style for everything. So you're sitting there like, a story of Catholic, no, Christian, no. Well, now it's gone. I can't read it. It said chivalrous. I did not get chivalrous. I did not get chivalrous. That out is of that. so messed up. I know I have dyslexia. I know I have trouble reading, but like, I'm looking at this and I'm having a hard yeah. time. Pretentious filmmakers. There's one that's, there's a section that's just called the interlude. Akira Kurosawa. You are not, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you aren't. Just, you're not. In his mind. He is. he is. He really is. He is. And you can really tell he thinks he he's making... He is an auteur. He is the greatest. He is the best. He thinks he's making the American version of Ron. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. <laughs> you're just not. I didn't like Ron either, but you're definitely not doing it here. Yeah. Well, thank you for this review. Yes, I'm taking the bullet for everybody. It. Now I'll never see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Let me, let me rephrase that. Now I'll happily never see this. Yes. All right, so we need to move on to the meat. We are we are already we're already into deep this. into the show at this point. All right, so we're definitely going to be talking about at least two things. Yes, we'll see the, if we get to the third thing. See, so yeah, we'll see if we get to the third thing. Number one, we got to talk about is um, the Last of Us episode two. Yes, I got to say the thing that I love the most about this show is they know how to start an episode. Mm -hmm. The opening of this episode in Indonesia, right? Yeah, where the this the um, professor and scientist gets brought in by the military to show her this dead body. Patient zero, Patient, Exactly, patient zero. I love that there's not a lot of talking. No. Just a little bits here and there. And then just her reaction. It's so good. When he says, well, what do we do? And she says, bomb them. Bomb everybody. Everything. Well, my favorite moment is she, so she sees the body. Yes. She sees that there's this weird thing growing in it and that it's still alive. It's still alive. And she's like, this is really bad. Yeah. And she goes to the general to talk numbers and what happened. And the general's like, well, this woman, I say she's kind of patient zero because she's not. She got bitten by someone else. And then she started biting people and nobody really knows what happened. And the woman's like, oh, that's not good. That's not good. So how many people have called out so far today? 14. Yeah. And she's drinking a cup of tea and just her, her hands hand start shaking. And it's just like, 
you can see in her mind her doing the math and saying, that's it. The city's yeah. done. That's it. That's game. It they, was so brilliantly done. That's too many. We can't come back from that. Yeah. That's too many. You're not going to be able to stop it. And it wasn't even her like, I got to try to get out of here. She says, I want to go. I want to be with my family. I want to be with my family. Because she knows she needs to go too. Yeah. I was just, like that opening had me just blown away. Oh, it's so good. Absolutely blown away. And somebody had brought this up and I never thought about it because the outbreak begins at this grain factory. Yeah. Flour, wheat, grain factory. In the first episode, in the beginning, Joel and his daughter and his brother are trying to eat throughout the show, the first episode, and eat stuff that is made with flour and they mm-hmm. never, never gets the cake. They can, can't make pancakes. We didn't get pancake mix. And it really is like, okay, so that's why so many people got affected because the, the the spores got into the flour which got shipped around the world. Boom, oh, there you go. Yeah. And it's so brilliant. Yeah. Because they don't they don't come out and tell you that. No. This you is, need to think that we up. Were, we were talking about the Green Knight and how there are moments where I just want them to tell me things. Yes. This it's because the filmmaking there is so bad that I can't tell what's happening. Mm. I have to just make giant assumptions here. I said this last week. I'm going to keep saying it. It's Hitchcockian. It shows you everything and you put together the clues and you say right alongside the characters. Oh, Oh, Oh shit. Guys, this is bad. This is, I, do you know what we have here? It's bad. Yeah. And this, cause I, I'm fairly certain this show is made by the same dudes that made Chernobyl. Yes. The fantastic series on HBO. It just seeps mm-hmm. that show. Well, and they have, as one of the creative directors of the show, the guy that was the creative director for the game. Yeah. I saw the, I was watching the after credits thing of like, this is how we made the episode. This is what we did. Uh-huh. And they talked to the guy and he's like, yeah, when I saw, because one of the big things in this episode is the clickers. Uh, when I saw the clickers, I was like, this is exactly what I had dude. in my mind for so many years. And now it's here. And the practical effects on that <sighs> is so good. Yeah. That makeup, mm-hmm. if that doesn't get an Emmy, no, I know. I'm sorry. That makeup is unbelievable. And it's it's one of those things where we've been watching zombies for so long. Yes. That you're like, how can we do zombies but different? Throw in some mushrooms and it looks like zombies, but different. Yes. You get that same like Resident Evil zombie vibe, but this isn't zombies. Yeah. This is something new and more horrifying than zombies. Yeah. And so after, okay, so folks, after that opening, it's pretty much seeing Joel, Ellie, and Tess. They entered the city at the end mm-hmm. of episode one. It's them trying to get, and really they only get halfway through the city in this one episode. Yeah. But the scene, God, I love it. When they're at the, the second floor of that building and they look down, and at first, you know, as they're walking, Ellie's like, I don't see anything. Like, where? And you see all of the bodies on the ground mm-hmm. and they're like twitching. And that's where Tess says they're all connected yeah. through this like intertwined, kind of almost like a Borg. It made me think of the Borg yeah. in Star, Star Trek. And also Stranger Things just did this last year. Yes. Where you can't step on the vine. That's right. will know. That's right. And how they say it where you could be on the other side of the town and you step on the wrong thing mm-hmm. and they all will come because they know where you are. And I'm yeah. like, that is so genius. That was, they implied in that, in that making of that that was something that wasn't in the original game. That was something that they invented for this. I did hear that. And that originally what drives Joel and Ellie out and kills Tess is a group of cops and... Um, mm vagrants of various kinds and i 
really like this. Yeah. I, the the way Tessa ends up dying is a little weird. Um, that was a weird choice. I don't know what that means. What her getting bitten and blowing herself up? No, the part where she makes out with one of them. Well, it's it reminded me of um, almost like Aliens, to where I don't know if it knew she was infected, mm-hmm. and it was like spreading the infection that way. I guess. It was just a very strange choice to make. It was. It was interesting. Because they, they take a whole moment to do it. Yeah. And for context, uh, the the show is just one long action sequence with various moments mm-hmm. of, of rest built in. Um, and the, the penultimate of this is they're in the state house. Mm-hmm. They've been trying to get Ellie to the state house. It turns out that uh, bad things happen in the state house. And it looks like the fireflies that were there uh, had an issue where some of them got infected and the ones that were fighting the infected didn't live long enough, but also made sure that the infected all died. So yeah. now everybody's dead. And uh, so they're like, well, shit. And then while they're there, the fungus senses them and sends a group of monsters after them. Mm. And those piles of people just stand up and run. That oh was scary. God, that, that was, was so really good. scary. And... Uh, Tess reveals that she's been infected. Yes. She got bit at some point. Which is, they get very casual with the bites because Ellie gets bit and Tess gets bit. And I don't remember seeing either of them get bit. Well, the Tess one is because it happens in that awesome tension-filled scene. Yeah. um, When they're hiding out. And because you get away from Tess. Yeah, that's right. Because Tess leaves. That's right, yeah. And then she comes back and she's acting a little bit. She acts different, yeah. And so right there I was like... Yeah, something bad's happening. Something happened. And then yeah. when she shows the bike. Oh, I hurt my ankle. Yeah. Yeah, you hurt your ankle. Uh-huh. Yeah. But anyway, so Tess decides, I'm going to die. Let me set a, a situation where I can give Joel and Ellie a chance to get out. Because yes. now that I'm infected, I have this moment of redemption of like, but like, what if we could save the world? And and it's not well, just about me. It's about I everybody. I necessarily 100% bought the whole Ellie thing mm-hmm. until she saw her get bit and she was perfectly fine. Yeah. And it's like, oh, saw her get, get bit that at, aha moment. And saw her get bit at the same time she herself was yes. bit. So as she's feeling the symptoms coursing through her, she looks at Ellie and Ellie is fine. And I love like her with the like twitchy hands with mm-hmm. this new tell she's starting to get taken over. And you're like, mm-hmm. God, it was so good. This show is so good. But anyway, so she's standing in the middle of the state house and the zombies all come in and she's poured a bunch of gasoline all over the floor and thrown a bunch of grenades and she's going to light it all on fire. And while she's trying to get the lighter to actually light, one of the zombies comes over and literally just like, like the the thing comes out of his mouth and he just starts kissing her. Yeah. And I was just like, this is weird. Yeah. This is a weird thing to do in this moment. This is probably the only thing I could say I didn't love about this show, Mm -hmm. this episode. I am really tired with the I can't light my lighter cliche. Yeah, that is getting real old. It's so old. I've had a lot of lighters in my life for various reasons. And uh, when... I know. I know. It's not like you can go down to, you know, the the Sunoco on the corner and get a new lighter. But, like, wouldn't... Before you leave for a mission, wouldn't you fill your Zippo lighter? Make sure that it was tipped off and, like, ready to go? Or maybe keep one of the grenades you threw on the ground and pull the pin. Pull the pin? That would do it. And blow yourself up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that was the only part that bugged. But other than that, this like this show is really solidifying itself. And it has, as of today, been um, renewed for season two already. Nice. Good. And what I read, Neil Druckmann said, who is 
for those of you who don't know, is the guy that actually created the the game and he directed this episode. And I know he's written a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, he said the second and third seasons are probably going to follow the second game, mm. which he for him to say it'll take two seasons for that second game. But once again, I've never played these games. I yeah. kind of know briefly about them. I thought this is going to be interesting. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting. This is going to be very interesting. I'm very intrigued. I really like the world. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that we're going about seeing the world that we see just a little bit of the the before, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the episode is really just the after. With yeah, the you exception don't need of last to know week. too much of the before. No, but I like seeing the before. Yeah, no, but I agree with you. I yeah. like the little bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the way that they're doing it. I don't necessarily need an episode that's half flashback, half, you know, modern yeah. Ellie and Joel on the run. I I really like just these little vignettes at the beginning that mm. kind of set up like, oh, this is what was going on. This is how this happened. This is how this happened. This mm. is like one scientist saying this could happen. I am very curious to see next week because I think next week is when we meet Ron Swanson. What's his name? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, guy with the face. <laughs> He's the guy. Oh, the guy with the face. The guy. He has that face and the mustache, and he likes bacon, and he does woodworking. And uh, what's his? I can't even remember his first name, let alone his last name. Why is he so far down? In the Nick Offerman. Nick Jesus Offerman. Christ! He's so far down <laughs> in the IMDb. I'm looking through it. I'm like, I know he's in. Oh, he's only in one episode. Well, he plays either Bill or Frank. Yeah. Because they talk about getting Ellie to Bill and Frank. And yeah, that's he's true. going to be either Bill or Frank, and it looks like Bill and Frank kind of made a bad end. So. And uh, I am interested. I, I didn't know this. Uh, Graham Greene is in this for one episode. For those of you who are unaware, he was famous for uh, Dances with Wolves. That was like one of his first big. Mm. And then he played the Native American friend of Mel Gibson's in Maverick. Mm-hmm. He's been in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if he's... Oh, he's Marlon. I don't know what Marlon is. Once again, I don't know any of this. Yeah, so. we're going we're gonna to see. I'm very interested. The show is progressing well. It's mm-hmm. a good balance in terms of action to pacing. Mm-hmm. Of just like... It's not like She-Hulk where you feel like there should be more action. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Willow where you feel like it's getting distracted from what the actual plot is. Mm-hmm. It really feels like there's moments of action that are indicative of the plot. Mm-hmm. The plot can only happen if the action happens. And it's not that we need to stop and have a zombie chase sequence. Mm-hmm. It's that things have happened in such a way so that this is the only way we can go. Mm-hmm. And, and what I appreciate is is this kind of going along with the, the Castlevania TV show shows that to make a successful adaptation of a video game, you do not have to have the pacing and the kind of one-dimensional story that a lot of video games have. Because even ones that have really in-depth stories and, and a million cutscenes, a lot of times are very one-dimensional. It's not anything, you know, it's a good story, but it's not something where it's like, I've, I honestly have not played a video game, even Breath of the Wild, which is my favorite, where I'm like, I will never forget the story. It was the best story ever. Yeah. To me, it's like the story just got you to the next action sequence, which a lot of these video game adaptations are the same as. And it's like, no, you could actually tone it down and have an entire hour-long episode take place in, like, two square blocks. Yeah, yeah. There's enough here to explore Yeah. in terms of just the world itself, in terms of what Ellie knows and doesn't know, what she understands and doesn't understand, mm. what the, 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 the hows and whys of how the world works. Mm. And... Uh, we as an audience need to be introduced to them because even 
in the as an adaptation mm-hmm. we were just talking about adaptations and yeah. changes uh as an adapt- adaptation there are going to be changes mm-hmm. to the story they, they talk about that in that little making of of just like they they mentioned how spores as a dispersal product mm. is too big <laughs> it would yeah. it would be too fast and impossible to fight so they needed to kind of change and tweak that a little bit for for mm. movies to make it make more sense in a broader scale. And I really like this. The other thing about it that blows my mind is that it does feel like a video game at times. Mm -hmm. Let me put it this way. I feel like in a lot of video games now, you have like the open world aspect of it and then the home base mission aspect of Mm -hmm. it. Of like, you got to go in and talk to these people and find out what you're doing or you have a moment of rest in between things where you sit in a room and you talk to people about how everything's going and you plan for what's going to happen next. I feel like it really hits those story beats well. Where like, it doesn't have the moments that you would have as a video game where Joel spins around in a circle and walks into a corner and doesn't do what he's supposed to be doing because the player just kind of wants to fuck with the world. It's like if the player was earnestly trying to play their way through the game as honestly and and directly as possible Mm. without any sense of like, this is a video (laughs) game. And and so it really feels like it. That scene of them in the apartment where Joel's on the couch and Ellie goes through the phone book, the the scene of them at the beginning of this episode where they're talking about how Ellie got bit the first time and then they're walking down the road. Mm. And like, you can see this, it being just from, instead of in front of them, being from behind them and having little text across the screen as like the characters talk to each other as you're walking down the road and mashing A to see if there's any items on the ground that you can pick up. But it, it does feel weirdly like a video game in terms of the small moments. It, and kind it, of going off of what you just said, I do appre- I did really appreciate the whole explaining how Ellie got bit. Because mm-hmm. any other show, you would have half an episode with a flashback showing it. Mm-hmm. Here, it's like a three-minute throw-out-the-window... Yeah, I got it. I walked into the wrong building and I got that. And I'm guessing she's lying about it. And I'm guessing she yeah. has a boyfriend and that's who was actually with her when she was in the mall mm-hmm. and all these other things. Maybe she lost an entire group of friends. Who knows? And I'm sure we're going to get back to all that. But I agree with you. In this moment, it behooves us to have this this explanation that allows us as an audience to be like, I'll take it. Yeah. That's fine. That's a good explanation. And it makes sense that in this situation, you're not going to have a major exposition dump mm-hmm. in the position they're in. No, exactly. This it's is like, not the time. No, you got to get your ass moving. Yeah. We're, we're literally trying to move through the most hostile territory you will ever encounter. Yep. Where like you hear something 20 blocks away and everybody freezes like a deer and you're just yeah. like, what was it? That was so great. Yeah. That was so great. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love the show. I'm, I'm very excited for, for it to continue and I'm... I really hope, especially after finding out that they're canceling Doom Patrol. There it is! We um, got the news, folks! They're gutting the last of it! After this final half of season four, they're they're ending it. I really hope they don't screw with shows like this. Because mm-hmm. who knows with what Discovery is doing. I, I mean, part of me thinks they're really going full bore into DC, which is fine. But shows like this mm-hmm. and Chernobyl and uh, dark his dark materials, which is actually I think ending after this current season that's out. Um, I hope they leave these alone. Yeah, it's like you got to understand the bread and butter of HBO. I know your Discovery now or whatever the hell they're gonna call Max or whatever. 
you got to know what the bread and butter has always been with HBO. It's been shows like Sopranos and Deadwood and, and Boardwalk. You know, it's been these shows. And then you have the tertiary stuff like DC. What it needs to be is what seemingly has happened with Fox and Hulu and Disney, mm. where Disney bought Fox and seemingly just said, we're going to put all your stuff on Hulu. Mm. Just keep doing what you're doing. We're not going to have you change what you're doing. Sonny's not different than it's ever been. No. The Bear is still one of those classic FX-style shows. Mm. I could see Archer coming back any day now if they wanted to. Uh, plus, you have the movies that are all Fox movies that have been released on Hulu have all been really good. Mm. <laughs> like, like Hellbenders, or not Hellbenders, uh, Hellraiser, Hellraiser notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, but, like, it seems like they've been left to just kind of do their own thing, and they just have Disney money to do it with. Mm. I just, I want Discovery to stop fucking around. They they have done a lot of fucking around. They've found out a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like the only way they're really going to find out is when this whole thing comes crashing down and they have to sell HBO for scraps. Because that's the way it's going. That's where this is going. And it would be one of the saddest, just, I mean, growing up, first getting cable and the first time you saw the HBO logo mm -hmm. logo and the like the build up for the feature presentation and you see the movie and it's like like I'll never forget that as long as I live. Yeah, no, that was a magical moment. And now it's going to be what? Yeah. Well, and it's like HBO has gone from the premier the premier mm. paid subscription service. It was the only one for so long and then mm. a bunch of other cable channels came up and no one looked at Showtime and said, oh, Showtime, it's so much better than HBO. Everybody still looked at HBO and said, Top Dog is HBO. Then you have, like, graduating levels depending on what you want. In the last 10 years, HBO has far been mm. eclipsed by something like Netflix, mm. Hulu, now Disney+, Plus, but Amazon. They, all, all, they are also the only streaming service that got away with fifteen ninety nine a month because of their back catalog. Mm -hmm. Like, to be able to watch... But if they keep getting rid of stuff out of their catalog... That's what I was going to say. Start getting rid of everything. Because that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're gutting a lot of your back catalog for stupid shit, and you're not giving an explanation outside of, well, we want to have an option to put this on a separate streaming platform. That doesn't make... That yeah. doesn't... This is your streaming platform! Yeah. Why do you want to set up a second one? You think that that's going to be the key to the business to set up a second streaming platform and that's going to roll in the gravy train? Yeah. You're going to have a cable system that's all yours that's just Discovery and HBO and that's going to be enough? And what they need to do is they need to get a subscription to Paramount Plus so they can watch South Park The Streaming Wars mm -hmm. where South Park pretty much shows in their tongue-in-cheek way too many streaming services. Well, not only that, Netflix has been saying for 10 years now that they're almost running out of business. Yeah. They're, they've been on the cusp of running out of business for so long. And they are doing that drastic cut right now for people sharing. Mm -hmm. And that's going to lose a ton of members. Yeah. And all these views they're getting, like they said, Knives Out is like one of the most viewed streaming movies ever. Mm-hmm. That ain't going to happen once no. you do all this. No. And their prices are going up, and Disney's prices are going to go up. I'll do a deal with you, Netflix. Keep your price at the base minimum that it's at. I pay depending on how many households mm. I have it installed in. I pay an extra dollar fifty for every household that I have it installed in mm. that's not my base household. Okay? And I can raise or lower the amount of base households that I have it installed in, and I just pay an extra dollar fifty, two dollars a month per household. Mm. I would so much rather... Do that. I think there is an option of like two fifty extra a month. 
But I think you so you can get more households under your banner. I think so, yeah. I'm saying like keep your price at like twelve. Oh, I see what you're saying. And then if I want to add like three households onto it, then I'll pay fifteen. Yeah. And then I feel like I'm getting something out of the raise hike. That's true. You're getting something out of the rate hike, but your rate isn't actually going up. It's just now I'm being honest about how many households I have it in. And if people want to get persnickety about that and offended, I'm just like, listen, I I was on the internet during the piracy age. Mm-hmm. This this is just honest. Napster, baby. Yeah, I, Napster. I don't. This doesn't mean anything to me. This is just being honest about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's our tangent for yeah. HBO Max. Yeah, don't fuck it up, Discovery, because right <laughs> they're now they're going to like I look what they're doing with I. I Honestly, I was not shocked with the whole Doom Patrol thing. No, but that was it just was an inevitability. And it's like season four, fine. They've had four seasons. That's not nothing, right? Yeah. Okay, fine. I get it. But like, at the same time, this is indicative of a larger issue that you keep gutting stuff, specifically this one series of things. Mm-hmm. And it's a little concerning to all of us who got HBO Max in part for DC services yeah. that you seem to be really intent on gutting a lot of the shit that we want it for. Yeah. This is what we want it for. This and is what I'm paying the $50 have a month a show for. That has a cult following that stars potentially the best actor Oscar winner He's this year. He's going to win the Oscar. He's going to win the Oscar. And he is one of the stars of your TV show that I really, even after winning the Oscar, I don't see him backing out of it because 99% of it is voiceover for yeah. him. Oh, yeah. And so it's like... Well, he's probably already filmed most of his primary stuff for oh, the second half of season two. Absolutely. So th- at this point, he doesn't even have to anything to back out of for yeah. Doom Patrol. He's just got to go and do a few But even like further seasons, I see him as the kind of guy that he knows that Doom Patrol is one of the things that helped kind of boost him back up. Oh, yeah. And I think he would have stuck in for I a couple I think he would have stuck around with yeah. it. I mean, like, here's the thing. And this is how I feel about The Mandalorian. This is how I feel about so many superhero shows. And this is why I get really frustrated mm. when they insist on breaking the Carl Urban law. If your character wears a mask, wear the fucking mask. You know what's great about that? You don't have to have the fucking actor on set yep. to do the part. Because he doesn't need to be in the costume. Mm-hmm. Because it's a full body costume. Yeah. You have two characters on that show that that could easily just have some sag after a lunatic in the part, and then you have Brendan Fraser and, and Matt, what's his face? Boner. Yeah. Uh, it's Bonner, Bonner but I like yeah. Boner. Uh, you have them do their, their voiceover, and they're, if they're still doing flashback sequences with them out of costume, you have them do those, obviously. Yeah. But, like, same with Mandalorian. Same with all these shows where the character covers their face the whole time. You don't have to have the actor yeah, on set for the whole thing. They're just going to do the voiceover later. Honestly, I love Pedro Pascal as Mando. Don't get me wrong. You didn't even need to have a named actor in that role. You could have had a voiceover artist and everybody would have been fine with it. Yeah. Like, if you would have got, like, Nolan North, one of the big name voiceover actors. There it is. Everyone would have been like, oh, Oh, yeah, that works. Oh, look at Nolan North finally getting some actual full product work. Billy West is dying of jealousy in the corner. I love Billy West so much. I love Billy West. I'm sorry. Futurama is one of my favorites. All right, so we got to move on. So, it looks like our final topic tonight mm-hmm. is going to be, we're going to talk about the first three episodes of The Legend of Vox Machina yes. Season 2. And then next week we'll do a, a nice hearty review on Jack Ryan. Yes. 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 So next week it's going to follow the same trajectory, except mm-hmm. it's going to be Episode 3 of The Last of Us, Episodes 4, 5, and 6 of Vox Machina, and potentially 
the series review of Jack Ryan. Yeah. I think there's only there's only ten episodes. Seven I think? or eight episodes. Okay. No, it's actually I think it's eight episodes. Okay, so. then I'm mo- I'm about a third of the way through the okay. season. Um, so Legend of Vox Machina. You and I raved about this first season. Yes. So we were very excited for the second season. I went back and watched the first season all in one day. Oh, it's so great. For shits and gigs. Yeah. I just did it for the, the sake of it. I, and I love the 23-minute runtime per episode. I know. You just it's so gold. good. It's yeah. so good to be able to sit down and be like, all right, what are we doing today? Yeah. Oh, nine episodes of Vox Machina. I'm not going to want to shoot my brains out after that. I'm going to be on cloud nine. That's going to be awesome. Exactly. And God, it's such I a good show. don't know if you could have written a better first episode, it's, which is the dragons attacking... Yes. The, the kingdom. Well, not only that, you so you hear dragons attacking, and you're like, "Oh, I know what a dragon is." You don't know what a dragon. Oh is. Oh my god! Um, because these are so dragons, are unlike anything you've ever seen. Yes. You have a fire the drake, ice dragon, an ice dragon, the um, dragon that spits out not, um, poison. poisonous gas. Yep. And then the one that drips acid, which yeah. was my favorite. Well, the one that shoots out poisonous gas seems to have some kind of mustard gas thing. Yes. Where, like. You die within a few minutes while bleeding profusely from everywhere. Which is so good. And then the acid one. The acid one is holy shit. Like literally dripping from every pore of its body. Not only that, like it has some system where it pumps it out of its wings. So as it's flapping its wings to fly over the city, it's spreading even more acid in a larger radius because it's being propelled off the wings as it beats their wings. It's fucking bonkers. It was such a brutal first episode. You want to see a capital city fall in 20 minutes? It's right there. And That's, then there's the I, the part I love is they they you think a large portion of them escape the kingdom, but no, nah, son, dragons fly nah, and kill them all. Dude, sure. like holy shit, the entire kingdom was fucking wiped out. A reminder that the beginning, the very first thing that happens in the first episode mm. of Vox Machina is we're introduced seemingly to a group of adventurers who are all summarily killed. Yes, <laughs> and it's it's similar to that of just like. Oh, there's a town, and the town has heroes, and it's a bunch of people, and the king just gave power to the 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 group of uh, uh, board members of the the charity board or whatever you want to, to fucking make it call like it. a democracy. And and you know we've known most of the characters on the board in one regard or another. Mm. Or at least we've seen them in passing. We know kind of their faces and who they are. Uh, no, they're all fucking dead. Yeah, they're, they're all, all dead. fucking dead. And that city, oh, it's fucking gone. Yeah. It's gonna be wiped off the map. It's yeah. not just gone. It's salted earth gone. Yeah. Okay. Like the mountain the castle was on was literally ripped in yeah. pieces. And it's gone. Oh my gosh. It's so gone. Good. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's Alderaan. Yeah. Gone. And they the the heroes get out of the city and they get back to their, their house. Their keep, yes. And they're like, Okay, that was crazy. And then at the door are a bunch of of uh, uh refugees being mm-hmm. like, Can you help? And they're like, let's get you inside. Uh, dragon's back. <laughs> dragon's coming right back. And oh, he's going to fucking kill you all. Yeah. Let's run. Let's run right and now. It's, it's it's such a great, like, to have your villains before dragons who not only can speak, mm-hmm. but work together under the guy, under the leadership of the main dragon, well, the fire this breather, is, which is... This is what we wanted out of the Hobbit. Yes. What many of us who don't like The Hobbit, want it out of The Hobbit. This is the kind of dragon Smaug should be. They talk about how, in the first season, they talk about how dragons are arrogant and mm. are petty and are uh, egotistical and, you know, dragon sickness and all these other ideas. Mm. And, like, you don't see that in the same way in something like The Hobbit as you do like this. And I'm, I'm talking about the movie, not yeah. the book. I want to yeah. be very clear. I'm talking about the movie, not the book. This, you get it. You get it immediately. Yeah. You see the problem. The problem is that these are ancient beings that are super smart 
and outrageously deadly. They see humans the way humans see ants. Yep. And they're just like, if ants could make gold, humans would treat them like dragons treat humans. Mm. Which is... So they, they were able to escape through a portal in the tree, and their goal now is to find help yeah. to fight the dragons. They they have circled. They've said, you know what? This continent is kind of fucked. Yep. <laughs> we're kind of... The news out of the west is bad. So out of the north, it's bad. Out of the west, it's bad. Here, we're kind of in this... They, they go back to the town from first season that mm. has been liberated, and it's an unclear amount of time. The The end of the first season seemed to imply it was the next day after they left the town, but now this season implies that it's been a little bit of time between when they left Whiterun... Or not Whiterun, that's, that's, uh, that's Skyrim. When they left... Uh, Whitehall, and when they came back to Whitehall, so they circle this one place that's like the it's the the Troy of the fantasy world, mm-hmm. where Vasselheim. No one's beaten Vasselheim. It's full of people of all sorts. So it has the greatest of all elements to it. There's a lot of different churches and things. Mm-hmm. So they're like, all right, let's go there. We'll find a church of somebody that will help us. And they get turned down by everybody and their cousin, and. They finally end up at the Thieves Guild, basically. Like the well, Exterminators Guild. Yeah. <laughs> which is awesome with all the skulls lining yeah. the walls. and Yeah, it's the Monster Hunting Guild. Yeah. And uh, the Monster Hunting Guild is run by a Sphinx. Yes, <laughs> the Sphinx, which is really cool. That was a really cool sequence. That was a very cool where sequence. Where she fucks like with all of them. And she, yeah, she's yeah. fucking seriously driving yeah. her nuts. And uh, so they, but they pass her test and she's like, okay, give me this thing. It's going to be the thing that you can trade that'll get you help. So which like, is like some mystical armor. Yeah. Which and, is like in a realm of the dead almost, which yeah, is well, really it's, cool. It's in a realm of the dead in a temple to the queen of the dead underwater under a frozen lake. Yeah. <laughs> which is just amazing. I mean, <laughs> just, just like, hearing you say uh, it. Like, how do we do this? Yeah. Also, was, for the record, I, I, I want to point this out in case it comes up later on in the season. Uh, the, the first season ends with a weird void thing being created in a temple under the city of Whitehall mm. by a, the vampire king that was the villain in the first season. And it kills anything that goes near it and nullifies all magic. And we haven't done anything with it. It's still there. Yeah, it's so still that there. could come up. You would assume. <laughs> right? They might utilize that to help with the dragon. That could help. That could help with the dragon. If you can figure out a way to transport it without mm. it killing you, which is not easy to do because that guy that even came close to it was sucked out of... He was sucked into it but like a like layered so like mm. all of his skin was torn off and then all of his muscles were torn off and then all of his bones were destroyed and then his soul was sucked in it was bad it was bad it was bad for everybody involved yeah no. um scanlan is still well scanlan's still my favorite mm-hmm. but the scene with grog and the blind master mm-hmm. where grog like good. he just wants to beat like he thinks he's unstoppable and this blind which the, the design of this guy was right out of Tekken. It was totally out of Tekken. It was so Tekken. Yeah. And I'm, like, just watching him absolutely beat the shit out of Krog. And mm-hmm. then when Krog runs into I got beat by blind man. It's just absolutely killing me. I need a drink. Come on, buddy. Let's get you a drink. Yeah. <laughs> we'll all get a drink. And he got, literally got the shit kicked. But it's like, the part that killed me is he really didn't learn anything. No. 
Because when they're fighting in the tomb in, at the end of, season, uh, end of episode three, he's still looks like jumping yeah. in, like with well, the like, sword. And... The, the whole point is this, this blind master is like, where does your strength come from? Yes. And Grog finally breaks down and says, I don't know. We're going to find out. Right scene. now, his strength comes from a vampiric sword that's giving him demon thoughts. Yes. So that's going to be interesting. And I love the interaction of him with the sword. Where yeah. He's like, whoa. Oh. <laughs> he's, he's, so he's not quite smart enough for it to actually affect him. He's like, oh. Oh my god. This show is so good. Like like it, the, the belt of Big Beard. How did I describe it to somebody today? I said it is Dungeons and Dragons anime after dark. It has a little bit of the I, I would also put it in that same realm of like Last Airbender. Of like very With the magic, I could see that. Well well in, in it's a dark much darker version of Last Airbender. Oh, but, yeah. but the humor is like an escalated version of the same kind yeah. of humor. And the humor's great. Yeah. Oh, but it is because it really. I would. I've, I would almost categorize this as a comedy show. Oh, it's a super comedy. There's a lot of funny lines. Even though it's got some really serious, There's moments really scary, and some awesome really action. drama stuff. A yeah. lot of action. A lot, lot of action. Of a lot of gore, very bloody deaths. But like at the soul of it, I think the the biggest thing it tries to be is funny. Yeah. More than anything else, I don't think it tries as hard to be scary as it tries to be funny. It tries to be scary, but it's more concerned with being funny than it is with being scary. Yeah. And it's it's kind of scary in the, I I know you have you had a chance to watch any of the old D and D cartoon that I had given you? No, not yet. Okay, there are scenes in those where you would say the same thing where they're trying to be scary, they don't quite pull it off, but you could see it scaring maybe somebody not as cultured as us in the ways of this. Well, and also there's like a. When I say it's trying to be scary, but it's not as interested in being scary as it is in being funny, I'm not saying that in the same way that Marvel does it. Where Marvel no, has no, an opportunity no, no, no. to do something really cool, really dark, really interesting, and it just doesn't do it because it's more concerned about being funny. Fox Machina is very concerned with being cool and scary and action and like nothing you've ever seen. But its top priority amongst all those priorities is being funny. Is being funny. Yeah. And... I think that it achieves everything. Yeah. It's a great action show. It is there's real moments of horror mm. <laughs> when you're watching a dragon just burn people with acid. Um, and even the fight in the Death Temple was yeah. so well, awesome. And there's so many moments where like it exemplifies why I love role playing games in general mm. is and in a way that you don't see a whole lot. Where, like, we don't have a whole episode about how Pike heals and all these other things. Mm. Instead we have Pike's journey being a paladin and what that means for her and really her journey video game wise is she's leveling up yeah and but like you see many times mm -hmm. someone is very badly injured and pike goes over to heal them and that's not something you really see in shows is someone exactly. badly injured and then the the cleric or whoever coming over and healing them in part because it's not within the body and build of the show for that mm -hmm. to happen but it's done so elegantly and well here when i see it in a lot of places where it's not used mm -hmm. where it should be used and it's not as well used and i'm looking at you superhero stories oh there's a lot of good healing stuff that you can do there that you're just not doing see this and i don't know if this is just because recently i watched under the red hood this show reminds me of what's great about the really good dc animated yeah. oh definitely it's like after watching these it almost makes me wish they would stop trying live action mm -hmm. in certain genres and just make extremely excellent adult-oriented mm -hmm. animated films. Yeah. Because, like, this show, 
absolutely is not for kids. No. 1,000%. No. And... You couldn't even play at showing this to a kid. No. But, like, to me, if you made a two-hour-long movie in this universe with these characters, I would see it in a heartbeat. Oh, absolutely. And I would put it way above the Marvel movies. Because, and, like, same, like I look at Marvel movies, and as much as I like some of them a lot, and some I, I think are okay, and then a lot I don't like, if they were able to create that universe in a adult-oriented animated style, mm-hmm. I almost think it would be better because you'd be able to get more of the canon in and get away with more that you just you can't buy into in, in, in live action. Well, there's an element of live action that's not indicative of certain elements of these stories. Mm. There's something about the, the web swinging and into the Spider-Verse that never even is approached mm-hmm. in any of the other Spider-Man movies. The Amazing Spider-Man movies get close to it. Everybody can look at the web swinging at the end of the first Spider-Man movie and be like, oh, but it's so iconic. Okay, yeah, but it's not amazing. It doesn't knock your socks off. Watching Miles swing through the city knocks your socks off every yeah. time. And I there's just something about animated that lends itself yes. to that more. Your brain doesn't have the same inhibition of like, but that guy couldn't walk on the side of that building. Yeah. You know, you're not looking for the physics to make sense or for whether that jump looked weird or not. Did they jump too fast? Did they jump yeah. too slow? Does it look cool? Does it not look cool? Is it too physics-based? Is it not physics-based enough? And animated, you don't have to worry about any of that shit. It doesn't even come up because your brain's not thinking about that. And I can't understand why they want to make them live action because kind of like, I know this mindset is, is slowly fading away, but the old mindset where every adult thought video games were for kids. Yeah. Most grownups still believe animated movies are for kids where it's like, how? I would say the vast majority of people 37 and older yeah. think that animation means for kids. Yes. And you really had to be in a position where you watch a lot of anime or you have seen movies like Kubo and the Two Strings mm. or fucking anything from Lyco, really. Or, you know, like like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse where you see it and you're like, this is what animation can do. Yeah. This is what it can do. Seeing anything out of Japan, Paprika, um, uh, The Night is Long, Walk On Girl. These are mm. crazy things crazy things to see well i think back to siskel and ebert in the early 90s it was after the movie i want to say when it came to laserdisc um batman mask of the phantasm the very first batman animated movie especially ebert i want to say he was like we were wrong not to see this movie Mm -hmm. because it is so good and it is not geared towards children and it has really a lot of depth and a lot of heart to it and hearing them say that about an animated superhero movie back then is what makes me mad when people poo-poo on it now and it's like, watch Under the Red Hood, watch Superman Red Sun, watch some of these like mm-hmm. excellent adult-geared superhero movies because they're so good. We talked about it a little while ago. Titan AE was dead in the center oh, of that. Yeah. Of just like, this was a movie that was made for teenagers and young adults. Yep that the studio did not know how to advertise because it was an animated Don Bluth movie with a bunch of butt rock in it. And it's like, how do you advertise for? People are cursing. There's real danger. Mm. Characters get hurt and it's not funny. There's no cartooniness to this movie. And it failed because they don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. 20 years later, you're like, okay, we're we're finally getting somewhere Mm. where you can have 
uh, now Amazon has several adult-based animated series. Yes, which are, Invincible Season 2 is coming out at the end of this the end year. Of the year. They, they've said sometime towards the end of the year. I'm yeah. guessing that they're going to push it to 2024, if I had to guess. Probably. But, like, this reminds me, going back to DC, the beginning of Justice League Dark mm-hmm. is still one of the oh scariest God. things ever just because of the existential drama of it it's yeah. scary in the way that black mirror is scary yeah. like the scariest thing i've ever seen isn't the shining or any horror movie the scariest thing i've ever seen is the mother who's trapped in a teddy bear in black mirror mm-hmm. that's the scariest thing i've ever seen the psychological damage mm-hmm. of the beginning of justice league dark i have to skip it it's too much it's messed it's up. too much yeah it is and, really messed and up. that's the fall of uh, Amon here mm. of just like uh, shit's bad yeah. shit's real bad I really I really don't have words like I, I I I hope this is a trend to more content like this because really once Castlevania ended mm-hmm. we had this to lean on mm-hmm. but what else is there right now no it's true for animated I mean Invincible you know, the first season I really enjoyed. Let's see what the second season brings. Mm-hmm. I, I even got to admit, after watching The Boys Season 3, it's like I see a little too much in I saw the giant. The I saw the giant urethra that they built for that. Oh, I'm, my God. I'm good. I don't need to see it. You don't it. need to see that. I don't need to see it in action. I've seen it. I've seen the, the production stills yeah. of it. I'm good. I think an interesting thought experiment is you take something like Peacemaker. How would Peacemaker function as an animated feature as opposed to a live action thing? Do you think it would be better? Do you think it would be worse? Do you think it would be the same? I think it would be almost the same, possibly a little better. See, I, I, the only reason I push back on that, because what we talked about with You Get Away With More, the reason why I love the Captain America movies, the first two, let's say, because mm-hmm. Civil War is an Avengers movie. Civil War is good until the third act, and then the third act of the wheels Yeah, no, it's off. So But the first two Captain America movies I love because it's not really superhero movies. No, they're spy movies. Yeah, they're spy movies. Well, and he's, first one's a war movie. He has superhuman movie. strength and speed, but he's not, like, now flying. You know, there's not all of this. And even the Winter Soldier, and, and then you have um, okay, Falcon. No and Black Widow and they're just people no exactly Captain America is supposed to be the height of human ability yeah he has super strength in the sense that he's more strong than any human could be yeah but he's not super strong in the sense that the Hulk's super strong no he's not super strong in the sense that Thor's super strong Spider-Man comes over he can lift a fucking car with one hand yeah in certain cannons in some cannons less so but Thor can lift anything yeah. One hand, no problem. Cap, he could lift the car, but it it would take him a second. Yeah, he would have to get under it and get in the right I'm angle. I'm trying to remember. I used to have the comic book that showed all their abilities, and I want to say he's like two or three tons or something it's like that. Probably like, over here. I probably have it over here. Somewhere. Yeah, it's something crazy like that. But it's but going back to the peacemaker thing. Yeah. The reason why I think it's great in live action and it belongs in live action because it's not really people with superpowers. Mm. It's him and vigilante who are just fucking insane yeah <laughs> human beings that just have this unbelievable ability to kill people yeah and so that's what i think is great about that but what you're saying with justice league dark with all the mysticism and and um all the superheroes in it it's like you and the demons that plays better being able to do it animated another thought experiment you look at we liked I think we can agree. We had issues with Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, but we liked it more than the original Doctor Strange movie, right? I think we can all agree the best version of Doctor Strange is from the What If series. Again, you look at 
that as an animated feature versus a live action thing even when you have something which is directed by sam raimi who is this gangbuster mind-blowing crazy man Mm -hmm. who comes up with the the quote-unquote visionary director even when you have moments like that Mm -hmm. i i still find that the what if stuff was scarier Mm -hmm. than anything in multiverse of madness maybe not the moment when wanda came out of the mirror that was creepy that was creepy that was creepy but by and large we had evil Doctor Strange over here, and we had evil Doctor Strange over here, and the evil Doctor Strange over here was much more interesting than the yeah. evil Doctor Strange over here. It's just interesting stuff. It's a fine stuff. line. Yeah. It's a fine, very fine line. Yeah. All right, so looking forward, I, I like I said, last night I started watching episode four, and I was not in the right frame of mind, and I passed out halfway through. So yeah. tonight I am actually hoping to watch four, five, and six, but we will talk about that next week. And that is our show, ladies and yes. gentlemen. So episode 87 is in the books. Once again, this is NerdPod Generations. If you want to know a little extra about the two of us, you can look me up on staylorbooks.com. You can look me up at judsomestudios.org under the Bronx Division tab. Watch your movies, follow our advice, and please tune in for next week. Catch up for the show next week. Some dungeon plunging uh, in Vox Machina, and then go right into the business at hand. A little espionage, Jack Uh, Ryan style. I'm so excited. Jack Ryan is just one of my favorites. We talked about Guilty Pleasures. Yes. That's a Guilty Pleasure. Oh, absolutely. I love Jack Ryan. All right, folks. You have a great week. Have a great week, friends and enemies. 